Roll tight, everybody, and welcome to Bama Talk. I'm Steve Sample, along with engineer-producer Mark Phillips at Airwave Recording Studio in Birmingham, Alabama, and we're going to do something a little different today. The university held a memorial service at Coleman Coliseum on Thursday, April 4th, to celebrate the life of Mal Moore, and we feel like it's fitting to take another listen to some of the more poignant parts of that program. We know a lot of you may not have had the opportunity to hear the broadcast on a live basis, so we're going to replay some of the remarks that were rendered that day with regard to Mal Moore. We were fortunate enough to be able to listen to the service, and we were very moved by many of the things that the speakers shared. So we're assuming that, like us, many of you that were able to listen might like to hear it again. And I think you'll agree that what you're about to hear about Mal Moore is worthy of more than one hearing. So we hope you'll find it as interesting and uplifting as we did. Keith Pugh, who was a wide receiver at the university in the late 70s and now serves as senior pastor at Open Door Baptist Church in Northport, opened the program. Dr. Robert Witt, Dr. Judy Bonner, and Richard Todd all spoke briefly. And then Coach Saban stepped up to the podium and over the next nine minutes or so made what we think may be the most memorable remarks we've ever heard him make. So let's take a listen. You know, today we're, you know, here to celebrate Mal Moore's life. And, you know, we all lost a, a very special man. Alabama lost a Southern gentleman. Uh, Heather and her children uh, and family lost a devoted daddy. Uh, the university lost a great leader. And I lost a great friend. You know, when Mal came to Miami to interview us, we hadn't agreed to get interviewed. And Chuck Moore, who's a good friend of mine who remodeled our house at the lake in Georgia, Mal's nephew, I would call him every now and then those last four or five weeks of the season in Miami and say, I'm interested in this now. I'm thinking about going back to college. I don't like this pro ball stuff. So Mal comes to Miami when the season's over and I'm do the exit physicals and all that stuff with the players and have my last meeting with the players and I'm driving home in a car on US-1 and I call Terry and say, you know, Terry, I'm really feeling guilty about this. I think I should stay here in Miami. I don't think we should talk to uh, Coach Moore. And Terry says, well, I already talked to him today. He's been over here this afternoon and he, he, he's a fine man and uh, he's coming for dinner tonight. So, but Anyway, we had a conversation with him for a while, and he kind of interviewed us, and Jimmy Sexton, my agent, and Mal went in the other room, and Terry and I were trying to commiserate over what we were going to do and the decision we are going to make. And um, Jimmy says to ask Mal, he says, Mal, what are you going to do if Nick doesn't take the job? And he says, well, I'm not going to Alabama. I'm not going back to Alabama. I think I'll just have him take me down to Cuba. <laughs> but, you know, Mal and his pleasant way, you know, really convinced us with his simple honesty, his sincerity, uh, his obvious love, you know, for his school. Uh, th this, this was a genuine person. And at this station in my career, uh, after spending two years in the NFL, where things aren't always about team and there's a lot of selfish play, uh, it was very important for me to work for somebody that was the kind of man who was genuine and that you could trust. And the honesty and integrity that he had 
really made it difficult to say no. Uh, and God knows that we were very, very happy that we were able to take the, the advantage of the opportunity that Mal gave us to come here to the University of Alabama. You know, a lot of successful people, you know, win because of their selflessness. And Mal was the most selfless person I think I've ever met. Uh, he always put the program first. He had no hidden agendas. He always had the best interest of the organization. Always came first. Um, he he, he never, never carried a grudge if you ever disagreed. Uh, he never disrespected a single soul that I know. Uh, he navigated the waters of the NCAA and the SEC, which can be very choppy at times with uh, a class and a charisma, an honesty and integrity, uh, a dignity about him that was unflappable. I never heard anyone ever use the word unfair when it came to what Mao did. Uh, he never ever really said no. He always said, let's talk. Mal was a true servant leader. He was always approachable, very pleasant, never looked for any credit or glory in anything that ever was accomplished. It was always, how can I help you? What do you need? And the most important thing was, is you could trust him. That's the first step in having a successful organization or a successful team, is having people that you could trust. You know, I love to see him after we won a game. I know every one of our players are here, and uh, he was always there at the door and shook everyone's hand, whether we won or lost. But he was always really happy, you know, when we won. But something that, that people don't know is every game that we lost since I've been here, on Sunday, I'd be sitting in the film room watching the film. Mal would come in and just sit down, just sit down in a seat. Sometimes he wouldn't even say anything. Sometimes I would say something to him, like I, I remember once I said, I can't get this running back to carry the ball in the right arm. It was Mark Ingram. And Mal said, you know, one time I had this great quarterback, and I can't remember his name right off, but he was an All-American player here that Mal coached. And it wasn't Richard, but it was another great quarterback that they had here. And he said, you know, one time I told Coach Bryant that he dropped his eyes right before he threw the ball. Well, this guy was an All-American. He was a great passer. He was a good quarterback. And if I could really get him fixed, he would be a lot better. He says, Coach Bryant leaned over and said, don't mess with him. <laughs> and I think he was telling me that story for the same reason that Bob Witt said, Mal told a lot of stories that had lessons. Mark Ingram can carry the ball in whatever hand he wants. I think that that's what he was trying to say. But you know, my happiest moment uh, for Mal, with Mal, was when he won the Toner Award for um, Athletic Director of the Year. You know, it was so good to see Mal get recognized for all of his accomplishments, the legacy that he's established here, all the good work that he did. But he said something to me afterwards, and he had tear running down his cheek, which was really tough. He said, you changed my life when you came here. And I looked at him right in the eye and I said, no, Mal, you changed my life. 
I'm a better coach, I'm a better person, I'm a better teacher for the lessons that I've learned being in partnership with you. So from aside from all the greatness and of Mal's accomplishments uh, that he had as an athletic director and a person here at the University of Alabama, you know, I think the quiet dedication that caring people have for loved ones, the love and devotion that he gave to Miss Charlotte for 20 years during her illness was probably something that I sort of respected the most about him. His loyalty and his devotion, um, that was probably, you know, his greatest achievement. Um, you know, I don't really know any poems by heart. You know, Mal used to make me mad because, and even a little jealous, because when we would be at away games, he always sat with Terry on the third bus. I always sat with the players on the first bus. And he would always read Terry poetry. And she would always tell me about these, this poetry that he read as if I'm supposed to be reading her poetry. And I said, you know, there's not much chance of that. I said, the only person I get to sit with is Cody. But the one poem that comes to mind that has always touched me is called The Dash. You know, you look at any gravestone and you have a date of birth and you have a date someone passes away and then there's a little dash in the middle. And the dash probably accounts for more than anything else because that really is the significance of your life. Um, and I think Mal did a really good job of fulfilling his dash by loving better than most people loved by caring for others more than most, remembering his roots uh, and the good common values uh, that he grew up with, working relentlessly to uh, make dreams come true for others, and, on, and always doing it with tremendous honesty and integrity. Um, today we should have tremendous gratitude here and appreciation for the memories, lessons, and legacy uh, that you know, Coach Moore, you know, leaves us all. You know, one of Coach Bryant's players said today in church that Coach Bryant really couldn't define class, but he could always recognize it. And I think with Coach Moore, it was just obvious. So I can only tell you how much I appreciate the time we had here together. Uh, I'll never forget how happy Mal was after those national championships. But I think the most important thing is, is Mal was a true champion in every sense of the word. Thank you. Wow, that's great stuff. You know, it's a blessing to hear these two men bearing their souls about their lives being better because they'd come to know each other. And beyond that, it's encouraging to see that though we all know they've both had bountiful bank accounts, the bottom line wasn't their bottom line. It wasn't just about money. And Mal Moore knew the difference between selfishness and selflessness, which is why his service was such that he accomplished so much with so little need to be in the limelight. And he was an excellent example of the adage that he who would be greatest among you must be your servant. I really like Coach Saban's comments about the dash. 
I think Mal Moore can rest eternally assured that the time between his birth and his home going and what he did with it is worthy of a well done. University of Alabama golf coach Jay Sewell gives us a great look at Coach Moore's competitiveness and the humility you rarely see in someone who worked with and walked among giants over generations. We think you'll hear the sincere love and admiration in his description of Mal in these remarks. This is University of Alabama golf coach Jay Sewell. There's not many places where the golf coach gets to follow Coach Saban, so I'm honored to be here and truly humbled when Heather called. Coach Moore was my friend, and I know we're to celebrate, but there's still a sadness inside of me, and I hope that I will honor him today because he meant so much to me, and I know many of you, Heather and Steve and Anna Lee and Cannon, you had a great dad, father-in-law, and granddad. Thank you for sharing him with us. Um, like most of the coaches here, I was, I'm here because of Coach Moore. Um, like Coach Saban, you know, in 2002, he stayed in Augusta, Georgia and we ate dinner with my wife and wanted, wasn't leaving Augusta, Georgia until I decided to come. No, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, you know, he called me and he wanted me to be part of the Crimson Tide. And I, I was a part of a great program in Augusta, Georgia. Um, Augusta is the home of golf, and my family was from there. My wife's family was from there and was pretty happy. And was, but there was an intrigue um, about it, and so we decided to come. And my wife on the way over here asked me, she goes, now we have three children. Tell me where this process is with you. And I'm 95% sure I told her that we were going to stay where we were. We were one of the top two, two or three teams in the NCAA and, and was very happy, like I said. But I said, we need to go. And she said, okay. And so we came with a 95% sure we were going to go home. Um, and so we went through the interview, uh, the travel, and all the things that go. And it was beautiful here, but nothing really had set its eye on me. The facilities were surprisingly very average. Um, but something happened with my meeting with Coach. Um, we sat down and had lunch um, and had a meeting, and he began to talk to me about the Crimson Tide and what this place was. Now, I come from a small town in South Carolina, and my dad always taught me that if you're going to sell something, you better believe in it. And when I sat down with him, I heard something. It wasn't selling anything. It was a passion. It was a life. And I fell in love with it right there. And for that 95% flipped, and I said, well, I better find out real quick, you know, where we stand. And I said, we might need to talk about golf facilities um, if you want me to come. And boy, if I didn't hit his sweet spot right there. And he went in to tell me a lot about this vision and plan he had for the entire University of Alabama. A golf facility. Imagine that. New golf facilities. And um, I've been here long enough, the 11 years, and we look here and we stand, and sometimes we take it for granted. Those of us who have been here long enough, we do have to stand back and really truly say, wow, because of seeing what has truly been done during this great man's time here. Um, and I am very thankful for that. I, that's how my journey started with Coach. I'd like to tell a few stories. I'm a golf coach. I don't have really any rough ones or, you know, talking about how we tackle spit on a face mask or anything like that. So I apologize for that. But Coach loved this university as well. It's been said so many times. And he was a very competitive man. Um, and he loved to represent this place. Um, and so I would frequently get a call, usually about 5 o'clock, and one five o'clock, he called me and he goes, hey, what are you doing? And I said, well, we're just finishing up practice. He goes, you got time for me? And I went, 
yes, sir, do I need to come in? He goes, no, no, I need to come out and see you. And I said, okay, what for? And he goes, well, I've got a big golf tournament tomorrow, and I need you to help me. And I'm going, okay. I didn't want to tell him that I recruited talent. I'm not real sure we make talent, especially in, in an hour. But, uh, of course, for job security, come on out, coach. we got plenty of time. And so he did. And he would come out and practice. And one time he did that, he was playing in the region's uh, championship over the senior tour um, in Birmingham. He was playing with coach and um, I think Richard's son, Gator, who played for me, and Jay Barker, if I'm not mistaken. And um, so he went over there, and, and he came over, and he was nervous as a cat. Um, I, I, I'm not quite sure what year it was. It was after we won a national championship. We've won so many, I can't remember what year that was. But um, he, he did, and he went and played, and he came back. And being a little nervous, I got up the next morning and just went straight to his office. I saw his car go in. I went straight to the office, and I walked in. I said, Coach, how was it? And he had a grin on his face like he hired Nick Saban again. And I said, I've got a job. And I said, tell me about it. And he said, on the 18th hole, coach, the galleries were everywhere. And this is where he loved to tell a story. And it was nothing better. Next thing you know, we've got secretary, we've got business people coming in, and we're having a gallery of this story of this eight iron that never left the flag and landed. Now, these are golf stories can be fishing stories at the same time. I've been told it was like he hit it like this close in the gallery erupted and he tips his cap to the crowd and all that but uh and and so as a golf coach I was so proud of that um I think that was the last time he played he said I'll just retire from golf with that day and so coach did love to tell stories as they said he was also a gentleman he loved music you heard the music as you came in today and I finally got coach to travel with us and I don't know why he didn't want to go to Georgia Southern or the Statesboro or Macon or Mobile to one of our tournaments but we were going to go to San Juan we were going actually to Rio Mar Puerto Rico in one of the top resorts in the country and he goes I'm going there and so and so he went with us and he traveled with us and we had an awesome time. Our players really, truly loved it. We won, which was a great bonus. But uh, one night, as he said, he loved, there was a piano player in the kind of lobby bar area of the hotel, of the resort. And, the, and he, my wife and I were coming down from dinner and we, and we walked and he had this big old grin on his face. And he goes, this guy knows every song. And I'm going, and he, and he was there, and he had to sit with me. And so we sat at the table with him, and we sat, and he talked. And he goes, have you ever heard the song Yellow Bird? And I went, it's not on my iPod. I don't believe so. Um, and then he was amazed that I wouldn't know Yellow Bird, so he began to sing it. And thought, oh, maybe I lied, lied your memory here. And I, no, I didn't. And about that time, he went to the piano player, and he asked him, and he came back with an even bigger grin. And he said, he knows it. And he started playing Yellowbird, and Coach starts singing. And about 20 or 30 seconds into the song, he looks at me and goes, are you not going to ask your wife to dance? And I went, no, sir. <laughs> he goes, do you mind? And I went, no, sir. <laughs> and so that day, that is my wife is now was referred to as Yellowbird from that moment on. And, uh, and so that's what Coach meant to me. And lastly, on a, on a story, he called me before last year's NCAAs at a time when us coaches before we go and we have a very good team and you feel the pressure and you're trying to make sure you have everything and he called at the perfect time and just told me he was proud of me, our team, and what they were. That's who Coach Moore was. And as many of you may know, we just missed heartbreaking on the last hole and finished second in the NCAAs. One of the first phone calls I got was Coach Moore. He told me the exact same thing. And because he truly cared about us, 
College athletics has been told that it's a big business. There's a lot of money in it. This is a business. And Coach Moore knew better. He knew better because it was about people to him. It's not about money. His decisions were never about that. It was truly about us coaches, the staff, but more importantly, all of you student athletes. You put on the Alabama jersey. You represent this place, and he loved you more than anybody. I got to see that. And so as, we, as I close, Coach gave the Crimson Tide a soul. He was our heartbeat. In Corinthians, I mean, excuse me, God calls us in Colossians 3.12 to put on compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, and patience every single day. Coach Moore modeled that for us every single day. He was my coach. He was our coach. And I am so proud. And today as we honor him, there are many buildings. There's even one with his name on it across the street. There's one now, the Progress, the Sarah uh, Patterson Champions Plaza is going up as we speak to continue his legacy. But that's not Coach Moore's legacy. His legacy is in our heart, to people whom he influenced. And it is our responsibility, in my opinion, to carry that legacy. And I hope that you will. I know that I feel that responsibility. Anna Lee and Cannon, that's your granddaddy. And I hope that uh, we will, uh, we, uh, thank you for letting me have a few work time, minutes of your time. And uh, God bless and roll tight. You know, it's hard to imagine having anybody say much about you that's any better than he gave us a heart. He gave us a soul. I'm glad they had Coach Sewell speak because he was able to share things that show how much more than just a boss and a co-worker Mal Moore was. I'm hoping that this outpouring of affection and admiration for Mal helps his daughter Heather and the rest of his family survive this season of sadness in their lives. We wish them all the best, and we envy them for having had the opportunity to know him and be close to him. What a blessing. We're going to move on to toward the end of the program. And Eli Gold had some very kind remarks uh, that we want to share with you too. Here's the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide talking about Coach Malmore, Eli Gold. We all knew he was not doing well. Uh, I certainly didn't know that his passing was imminent. Uh, so it kind of caught me by surprise. But uh, it's a terrible loss. A, a, a good class individual a wonderful man, uh, a friend, a leader, an administrator, a coach, I mean, everything. But he was class personified, and that's what made him that extra step above everybody else. We were at a function one evening, and the coach and I were talking, along with others, and this gentleman walked up. This is when Coach Moore's wife was still alive. And she obviously had Alzheimer's, had not for quite a while been able to identify her husband by name. Yet every single day when he was in town, Coach Moore went to that nursing home every single day and sat at her bedside. And this gentleman walked up and he meant the comment in a complimentary way. He said, Mal, he said, how do you sit at the bedside of a woman who doesn't even know you anymore. How do you do that every day? And the coach looked this gentleman in the eye and said, because I know her 
every day. And there darn near wasn't a dry eye in the group standing around. Uh, I just tear up thinking of that. It was, it, that was typical Malmore, a man who just, you know, gave his heart to the university, but lived his life in such a very special way. He means so much. Obviously, he was a visionary. He realized many, 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 many years ago that the university needed to raise money for capital improvement projects. He knew and could see into the future and knew that the tide was gonna to have to build new facilities or upgrade existing facilities for all sports to stay competitive, if not continue to be champions. And so he was a visionary in that regard. Um, but I think the thing that impacted me the most was talking to athletic directors and administrators at other schools across the country or people in the business world. And it, it was kind of like one of those E.F. Hutton television commercials of years ago, when Mal Moore talked, people listened. And when you hear that repeatedly from this athletic director and that athletic director and this one and that one, you really have it hit home how impactful a man he was in his business, in his industry, and obviously for the University of Alabama. His legacy is, is multifaceted. Yes, the hiring of Coach Saban was one of the great things he did, and look where the university is again. But his work in capital improvements, in fundraising, uh, things of that nature, and not to mention his playing days and all of his championship rings. I mean, the guy could have started a jewelry store off of all the championship rings. So his legacy is multifaceted. And that's what made him the great athletic director that he was for us. We're so glad you could be with us today. Thanks so much for taking time to listen. And we want to remind you that when you subscribe to Bama Talk, it saves every show so you can listen to any of the shows anytime you like, as much as you like. This is Bama Talk episode number 32, and they're all available all the time. So don't be shy about popping that play button because the downloads and subscriptions are free. Be sure to let your Bama friends know about the show and that they can find us in the podcast section of iTunes or on Stitcher, which is standard equipment on a lot of the new cars now. And they can find us on the programming menu at bigbrainsmedia.com. There's also a free podcast app available for your smartphone or your tablet, so you can take us with you while you're on the go. And if you're a Facebook aficionado, we've got a Bama Talk Facebook page that's all the rage. Thanks to the internet, we reached over 137,000 people last week, and we're really enjoying hearing from Tide people all over the planet. Feel free to share any of the pics and posts you see because we want to be a connecting point for Bama fans from all 50 states and all five continents. We've had an awesome array of guests so far, and we'd like to know who you'd like us to have on the show. So if you have suggestions or show ideas, feel free to drop me a line. We're always glad to hear from people that are listening to the show. So if you'd like to get in touch, my email address is steve at bamatalkshow.com. 
Well, it's about time to toss the ball back to the ref and head for the locker room. But before we go, we want to let you know how much we appreciate your support and that we're excited about what's in store for the future. Let's stay behind our teams, even when it seems they're struggling, because even when the tide's out, it always comes back in. So for Mark Phillips, James Spann, and all the people behind Bama Talk at Big Brains Media, we hope you enjoyed it because we have a ball, y'all. Till next time, take care, have a blessed day, and roll tide.